0: I do want to get into the Word, specifically Ephesians chapter 6. I was anticipating that we would get through Ephesians before the end of the year. But the way that I see it, um, with a couple more weeks off, I don't want to rush. But we'll, we'll get through it some one of these days. Let's read, uh, starting in verse 10, the Word of God. The Apostle Paul writes, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm... Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you may also know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know about us, that he may comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren in love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, excuse me, with incorruptible love. I said two weeks ago as I taught on the sword of the Spirit, which is the what of God? Word, but what's the word for it in Greek? Who remembers? Rhema the sword of the Spirit, which is specifically the rama of God, that we will more readily hear God's voice when we are filled with His Spirit. I made the point that God fills us with His Spirit when we ask Him, Luke chapter 11. Now, that message goes right into where we are today. And I did not feel released to get to this last week, but I want to encourage you, if you were not with us two weeks ago, that you would go back and listen to that message because it really precedes that. First, we need to know Christ Jesus. The second thing we need to do is ask Him to fill us. And when He fills us, it al- allows us to pray at all times in the Spirit. And these two things go together. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, "...with All prayer and petition. Now, there's two different words in Greek that are used here. If you were to look at the instructions given to Christians that are to be praying for those that are in authority over us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there's as many as four different words. And I don't want to spend too much time making the subtleties. I've gone over these. But in general, the first word that you come to says, with all prayers, or that is just a general word for prayers, praying to God. The second word, petition, as it's written in the New American Standard, or yours may say entreaties, yours may say supplications. It signifies petitions that are wanted by men, needs or wants or seeking. Things that we lay it down and we entreat God, would you answer this? So one's a very general, one is more specific. The root word of petition is to bind or to tie or fasten. The same word that we see shod your feet with the gospel of peace. Bind or petition. Bind up your request to God. How many of you have ever bind, have had to bind up the strong man? Here's the picture it's a petition. Bind it up. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Do you remember I pointed out that the apostles' writing shifted? When we before we were talking about the last two pieces of armor, where we are looking at receiving, receiving the shield, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Excuse me. Well, the first four pieces all dealt with this, this action of taking up, or arraying yourself, or binding up your feet, or fastening around your waist. But again, he ties in these two other participles, and they're not attached to the fifth and sixth piece of armor. But nonetheless, here we have our fifth one, which is the word praying. Now, your Bible may say this a little bit different. It's not with all praying. It's actually prayer and binding up. And that second time you come to the word pray at all times is actually praying At all times. This is a participle. It's an an action. It's an ing word in English. The point that Paul is trying to make is that we don't just stop with the armor and we're good in battle. You have to put on all six pieces and then pray, and it's part of that continuation of being able to stand firm. Another thing that I read, maybe this is an easier way to visualize this. I read somewhere that a Christian. Is prepared for battle by putting on the armor of God, but you engage in battle the moment you begin to pray in the Spirit. It's through prayer that spiritual strength and the armor of God begin to go to work. Pray some of the time, pray most of the time at all times. and This is important because if you want to stand firm or as I've said through this theme, if you want to win the battle the Bible's instructions are to pray specifically at all times in the Spirit. I thought for sure that would be more convicting. Let me try again. God says to all of us, if you want to stand a chance against the evil one, if you want to stand a chance to resist in the evil day, pray at all times in the Spirit. I don't know about you, but that hit me. To the the degree that we are not constantly engaged in prayer, our defenses have holes. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says this way, pray without intermission. That's what it literally says. Pray without allowing gaps between your prayer times. Don't take a break. How many of you have been to a, a long play or a production? They have, you know, they have a break, half time. What do they call that? Yeah, I'm not very cultured. I know. And you're like, oh, thank the Lord. Where's the hot dogs? And you go look for the nachos that are sold out front and try and you know get yourself through the rest of it. My kids have been home the last couple of days and they missed the Nutcracker at Virginia Tech, so um, they watched a 10-minute version with their class on Zoom. But um, Brittany also put on like a two-hour version, and they've been watching the Nutcracker and dancing around the house. Yes, they thought it was cool. They did. I was just looking for the nachos and the hot dogs. Pray without allowing gaps to intervene between your times of prayer. Without ceasing. Pray all times in the spirits. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. It's living, it's active. I ask that you would speak through me this morning, that you would give us ears to hear the importance of this message, Father, that we need to stand firm by being able to pray in the spirit at all times. Let us receive this word with gladness and joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why is it that when I say, let's pray, we bow our heads and close our eyes? Tradition. Maybe. Mom told us to. We were taught to in Sunday school, right? Where did mom learn to do it? For her mom and her mom's mom, great-grandma, great-great-grandma. Bow your head, fold your hands, close your eyes. You know, there's not a little diagram in your bible that says, you know, this is how you have to pray. And it shows someone with a bowed head. Perhaps the folding of the hands is just to keep kids from hitting themselves during prayer. My little Sarah likes to hold my hand. I don't really know why. Every time she gets a second serving on her plate, she says, "Can I pray?" She thinks any time food is added to her plate, she doesn't really understand it yet. "Can I pray?" So she'll eat, you know, her first bite, you'll add something to her plate. She wants to pray again. Yes, yeah, so It's funny, you can just do this through a whole meal. <laughs> she's praying at all times, right? Yeah. She's thankful. She's not sure why she's thankful. She's got the right heart, though. <laughs> she'll get it. <laughs> Lord, thank you for this bite of food. <laughs> May it nourish my body. Josiah likes to pray when he's, when he's praying for the meals and dinner. I, I don't even get to pray anymore. I have to fight for it. Josiah says, please let this food be good. <laughs> Children. Kneeling is big in some churches. But a lot of these traditions have lost their meaning. You know what? There's examples throughout the Bible of people praying when they're kneeling, they're standing, they're sitting, sometimes they're even lying on their faces. There are no verses that talk about folding your hands, but there are several that talk about lifting up your hands toward heaven. There are no verses that talk about closing your eyes to pray, but several that talk about people looking up to heaven to pray. And yet the habits are so ingrained in us, so meaningless, often that we don't think about why we do that. We hear the word pray, prayer mode. We use these code words, don't we? At the end of prayer, how do you know prayer's over? In Jesus' name, if you're at a charismatic church, <laughs> if you're at a, if at a different flavor, it might say amen. If you're at a, uh, a theological a grammarian church they might say so be it or whatever but this is how we know right we use these code words to signal dear heavenly father father god boom eyes closed that's prayer mode try ending a prayer without saying amen see what happens with everyone's eyes and their heads (laughs) is he preaching i don't want to look up and be the only one The point I'm trying to make that prayer does not necessarily need a starting and an ending place. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray without ceasing. Pray without intermission. Pray without allowing gaps between your times of prayer. I'm making the distinction between the act of praying, which I will call prayer mode, and the state of prayer. We need to quit splitting up our day into prayer time and non-prayer time. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it. We're going to give our Father a few days here, or a few minutes here and there. We're going to start our day off right. We're really spiritual, right? We wake up. We go into prayer mode. I'm watching the clock. i got 20 minutes, God. Done. Sweet. I was so spiritual today, I spent the beginning of my day for you, Lord. And we end with an amen. Sometimes we don't think about it again. That is not what Paul tells us prayer should t- look like in the life of the believer. Praying without ceasing is not referring to non stop talking. We've met those people, they just go on and on and on. Woo! Lord, take them home. <sighs> but rather, this praying without ceasing is this attitude from your heart that everything is a potential prayer request. Or supplication, or intercession, or thanksgiving. That you could actually be in a state of prayer where you're not phased by let's pray, or amen, or dear Heavenly Father, or bow your heads. It's not nonstop talking. But it's a God consciousness and a God surrender that we carry with us all the time. Do you know it's possible to keep your mind so focused on the Father and your spirit so immersed in Him, in His presence, that you spontaneously pray without ever realizing you're praying? I believe that kind of subconscious, spirit-filled prayer life is possible, that in the very same way we breathe without thinking about breathing, we pray without thinking about praying. And I'm not saying this as I've arrived, look at me, but to encourage us all to press in and to ask God for this revelation. The more we spend time with him, the more we read his word, the more that we pray, I find myself spontane- spontaneously praying. Caleb will say, what are you, who are you talking to? And I realized that for a moment I had drifted off and I was praying in the spirit without realizing it. We can get to that place. We can get to that place where I know it may sound weird. It certainly looks weird to the outsiders. It's Like, I I don't even explain it anymore to the kids. I just say, oh, I'm sorry. I guess I was talking to God. (laughs) What else do you say? I don't know. It's weird. I'll be thinking about a matter, and I'll realize in hindsight, because someone will ask me that my lips started moving and sounds were coming out, because the spirit within me was agreeing with the mind about some other matter without even cognitively deciding I'm going to stop and pray about this. We can get there. Here's my explanation of what is going on when that happens. Firstly, praying in the Spirit is not the same thing as praying with our mind. The Apostle Paul makes that very distinction in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, specifically at verse 15 if you want to look at it yourself. And and, and remember, in looking at Ephesians 6, 18, our, our verse for today, we stand firm by praying, not with the mind, but with the spirits. He doesn't say pray at all times with your mind, pray at all times with the spirits. I would love for you those of you that don't believe my interpretation of praying in the spirit is tongues, to explain what you think that really means, if it's not talking about that. How do you pray with the Spirit? It doesn't say pray by the Spirit. It doesn't say say pray along with the Spirit. It says pray with the Spirit. It's a partnership of the Spirit that's living inside of you, praying for things that you don't know how to pray with. Pray with the Spirit. Or in the Spirit, excuse me. There's a distinction there. But Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's talking about... Praying with his mind and singing with his mind. And and he contrasts it with praying and singing with the Spirit or in the Spirit. And there's a, a useful thing about praying with our mind. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying that we have to ignore it. We obviously pray with our mind. There's things that the Lord puts on our heart and we can make a request. It's often how things work corporately. But I want to point out something here. Is that when we pray with our minds, it's good when we know how to pray. Sometimes we think we know how to pray. What's our go-to? We often will pray with our minds. Maybe that's right or wrong. But what do you do when you don't know how to pray? That's when praying in the Spirit really shines. See, the Word of God is saying this, and get it. God's words, not mine. If you want to be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil... If you want to be able to resist in the evil day, you're going to have to pray in a spirit continually. But, Pastor, I don't think everyone is given the gift to pray in spirit. Pray at all times in the spirit. But Pastor, do you really think that means every believer must pray in the spirit? Pray at all times in the spirit. But I've asked for the gift many times, and I've never been able to pray in the spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. But how do I pray in the Spirit if I don't know what I'm saying? Pray at all times in the Spirit. But why should I pray in the Spirit if I don't know what I'm saying? But, 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 the list goes on. Pray at all times in the Spirit. I know it's uncomfortable for some of you to hear, but it's the truth, and God wants you to know it, or He would not have written it for our instruction. There are times, like I said, when we know how to pray and we often first go to our mind. But when we really get down to it and we're not sure what to pray, this is when I think it will help us to understand. The Holy Spirit helps us to pray because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 through 20, or 25 and 26. He intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. So so what happens is when our mind is thinking about something of Let's just take the, the tragedy that's happened with the tornadoes in Kentucky, okay? You're, you're aware of what's happened. Everyone know? There's about 70, I think, that are estimated dead, perhaps more. I haven't heard the recent numbers. A, a bunch of tornadoes came through with the last big storm across four or five states, a lot of death, a lot of destruction. Say, I'm thinking about this, and you're, you begin to think about the things, but not really knowing, Lord, how can you meet those needs? And we can pray that in our minds. We could say, God, would you just meet their needs, whatever they need. Lord, would you send help? Would you send finances? But you can also be thinking about the tornadoes. You can be thinking about the destruction, perhaps even the pictures. And you begin to pray out in the Spirit. And the Lord begins to give you utterance of things that you may not understand. It's your spirit man praying and coupled with your mind as you're praying those things. Say, God, this is too big of a prayer. I don't know what to do. But the Holy Spirit goes right there and just with pinpoint accuracy. He begins to pray spiritual things over the exact needs of those people that are far. There's something special about praying in the Spirit. But I want us to also know that although I believe it's easy for us to see the importance of it when we don't know how to pray, we are not limited to praying in the Spirit only when we're unsure of how to pray. I believe we should pray at all times in the Spirit because that's what the Word of God says. When, a corp, when we have corporate prayer and someone is praying something out loud into English, in this case, because most of us speak English, you can pray and agree with them in English, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, let that happen, thank you, Lord, or you can agree with them in the Spirit, and this is the distinction that I think is really where God wants to take us to another level. He's saying If you want to stand firm, you've got to pray at all times. You've got to have your mind so focused on me, and only by the Holy Spirit's pinpoint accurate prayers are you going to be able to stand firm and resist in the evil day. Now, pastor, where do you get the idea that speaking in tongues is the same thing as praying in the Spirit? Well, that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 through 16 it's quite obvious in my opinion. And we can go there if you want to go there. I'll just read it very quickly. But I encourage you, if you've got different opinions on this or having difficulty accepting this teaching, let's talk about it. First Corinthians 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, notice the distinction here, and it's in Greek. It's my spirit, my mind. But 15 says, What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, so he switches and uses these interchangeably. And I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, he's talking about praying or speaking words out in the Spirit How will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you are saying? The whole context here, if you read the previous verses, is about speaking in tongues in an ungifted person coming into the room, not being able to agree with them by the amen. How are they going to agree with you if they don't know what's going on? So you must be fruitful and pray with your mind and your spirit. There's time and place for both. I believe also, and we don't have time to go through this, I encourage you, it's online. If you'd like to go back and listen to my teaching on tongues and the baptism of the Spirit, they're available online. There are more than one use of tongues. There is a personal devotional prayer tongues. That's what I believe Paul has in mind when he says pray at all times in the Spirit. There is also a corporate manifestation of the gift of the Spirit, which is known as speaking in tongues, which should always be followed with the interpretation of tongues. Why? for the edification of the body. Paul is not talking about speaking it all out and causing confusion. That's what he's clarifying in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Everything is to be done in order so that the gifted person can come in and can get something out of it. The ungifted person can come in and get something out of it. But in 16 specifically, he's saying, how are they going to understand if you only bless in the Spirit or pray in the Spirit? again, used interchangeably with speaking in tongues, which you see through the remaining of the chapter. Speaking in tongues, in my opinion, is very clear, the same as praying in the Spirit. Now, I know some of you don't interpret Scripture this way, but I want to boldly ask you, is that because of what someone else has told you, or is that because the Holy Spirit showed you in your own personal study of the Word of God? And I want to ask us each and every one of these, each and every one of us, why do you believe what you believe about tongues? Because we're talking about the greater picture of the armor of God. Curtis brought up something this week to me. We were going through some spiritual warfare together. I, th- I believe, I'm speaking, putting words into his mouth so you can check it with him later. He can rebuke me if I'm wrong, but I believe the context was him talking with Sherry and how the Lord directs the words that are to be brought forth behind the pulpit on Sunday mornings and said, we better get ready, pastor's teaching on the armor of God. In other words, there's this attack that's imminent. God is preparing us as a body to go through spiritual warfare, or else he wouldn't be having me teach on it. Okay? How are we going to be able to stand firm against the attack? if we don't understand the importance of all of these pieces of armor working together, coupled with praying at all times in the Spirit, which is absolutely tied into these six pieces. We must, if we want to stand firm against this attack of the enemy that's ongoing and going to continue to come and perhaps even ramp up, we have to understand exactly what this passage is meaning. So, Uh, Very quickly, for those of you that may not agree or may have had a different opinion, I want to offer this up again in context of praying in the Spirit. I want to offer up the simple teaching of baptism in the Spirit, which is, I believe, how you get the gift of praying in tongues. There are two baptisms. There's a baptism in water, and there's a baptism in the Spirit and there's this water baptism Jesus commanded as part of the global expansion of the gospel. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. You will also find this baptism in the Spirit in Acts chapter one verse five, Acts eleven sixteen, Matthew three eleven, Mark one eight. You can get these verses from me later. I've got a list of them. But I want you to understand that there's also a lot of different names for baptism in the Spirit. There's names that have been added to Scripture. We call it the second blessing. But there's also a bunch of scriptural terms we have. The spirit coming or the spirit falling upon, the spirit being poured out, the gift of the Father, the promise of the Father, the gift of the Spirit, the gift of the God, receiving the Spirit. And if you go through these, I've got scriptures, you can come get them if you want. You go through these one by one, you will find that they are all talking about the same experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, okay? We don't have time to go through all that this morning or we'll never get through any of this. Yes, the Spirit dwells inside all believers. We talked back in chapter 4 of Ephesians of being filled with the Spirit, filled to overflowing. Let me ask you, for those of you that don't believe in the baptism of the Spirit as a separate experience, how are you to be filled with the Holy Spirit if you've not yet been immersed in Him? Because understand, that's the picture of baptism in the Spirit. Baptism in the Spirit is really the word immersion. It's it's a picture of being sunken into the Holy Spirit. So if if we're going to be filled continually with the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, we must first be baptized. There's a a picture of overflowing and overwhelming transfer of the Holy Spirit, an inundation. And so what happens here is that we try to make sense of these things with Um, extra biblical sources or make sense of these things because these are really just experiential and we don't have really clear guidelines in Scripture. And people say, well, I'm just going to throw it out because that's not a God. Well, here's the problem with that. We can't follow God's Word fully unless we are baptized in the Spirit and able to pray at all times in the Spirit. Now, I'm going to get bold on this. I used to think that tongues was a great blessing and You know, it's important and I think we should all ardently seek it. But I sort of stopped there so I didn't step on toes. But I'm going to take it a step further this morning and I want to boldly declare that if you do not, have not prayed in a personal prayer language, you're missing out on an essential element to your faith. I've always just shrunken back a little bit so I didn't offend anybody. But God in his word, makes it very clear that we each need this. Now, it's not essential in the sense that you're not going to go to heaven if you don't get it. It's not a salvation issue. But as far as spiritual warfare goes, it's essential. It'll bless you. It'll edify you in ways that you never thought possible. It'll, through speaking in tongues, you can pray things when you don't know how to pray i tell you, through praying in the Spirit, I'll give you another little example in my life. For any of you that work with people that have filthy language, filthy mouths, right? Any of you? Sam? Praying in the Spirit will help you. I was challenged by my uncle, when you've got a word that comes to your mind and you bind that up, shift and begin to pray in the Spirit and get your mind back on Him. It's your spirit man talking to God and it'll it'll shift the things that you think about. All right, quickly, Acts chapter 8. I want to show you that baptism in water is distinct from baptism in the Spirit. They are not one and the same. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Seems pretty clear to me. They had been baptized in the name of Jesus, 16. They had not yet received the Holy Spirit, verse 15. They laid their hands, verse 17. They received the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that the Holy Spirit wasn't in them before? Well, you tell me, looking at Scripture. I think he was there, but they had not been filled with him in that sense of receiving that gift of the Holy Spirit. Again, it's important to know these different terms, receiving the Holy Spirit, talking about that baptism. Chapter 10, flip over a couple pages, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who had received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were all asked Him to stay for a few days. Distinct baptism of the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit, verse 47, and then they were later baptized in water. Distinct experiences. Now, I read from one commentary from this point on, meaning this part of Acts, remember Acts is written chronologically, so chapter 11 on, that you'll never hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit again, which is absolutely unscriptural. It's not even experiential because it's just simply plain and false. You may think like that, you may have been taught that, that the gifts of the Spirit just ended, but that is not what you'll see in Scripture. And this, the whole funny thing about all of this is that, well, turn to the next chapter, Acts 11, verse 14, you'll see. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved in all of your household. And as I began to speak, now Peter's retelling the story, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did it at us in the beginning. He's telling the story back at Jerusalem about the... Um, Gentiles receiving the gift. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Again, distinction. I just want to show you, there's, there's a baptism of John, there's a baptism of water, there's a baptism of spirit. Now flip to, ver, to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. I'll show you that there was another one that happened after Acts 10. Again, I know some of you, a lot of you know this, but this is important. In fact, it's essential to us being able to stand firm. Acts 19, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Can you believe in Jesus without the Holy Spirit in your life? They believed without ever hearing of him. And he said, "Into what then were you baptized?" And they said, "Into John's baptism, which was a John was a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus." When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Baptized in Jesus. We see the distinction between baptism of John, but then they were baptized into Jesus, verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Popular book booklets, The Holy Spirit in You by Dennis and Rita Bennett puts it this way. The first experience of the Christian life, salvation, is the incoming of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ to give us new life. God's life, eternal life. The second experience is the receiving or making welcome of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus can cause him to pour out this new life from our spirits to baptize our souls and our bodies and then our world around with his refreshing and renewing power. Don't be swayed by these four past or by me, by my words. Don't be swayed by anyone else. Be swayed by the Word of God. Water baptism and the Holy Spirit are two separate and distinct experiences. Now lastly, and I read one of them in Acts chapter 11. We also read it in Acts 8 verse 17. You see it in Acts 19 verse 6. You see it in 2 Timothy 1 verse 6. That this baptism of the Holy Spirit is given by the laying on of hands. Why do we lay hands? When we ask people to come forward and we lay hands and it's a little weird. What are they doing? What are those weird people doing? Well, we're doing what those before us in Scripture did. The model that was given is that the Holy Spirit is seemingly, whether symbolic or supernaturally, I don't know and it doesn't matter, but imparted to each other by the laying on of hands. So someone that has been baptized in the Spirit, as they touch you, there's a transfer of the Holy Spirit and he inundates your spirit, man, and fills you with himself. That's what happens. Now, every time you see in Scripture that someone was laid on of hands in the name of the Holy Spirit, they were speaking in a new tongue. It's a real inconvenient truth for anybody who does not believe in it. And even for me who thinks that you can get baptized or you can have your someone lay hands on you and you won't necessarily have the evidence of speaking in tongues. But you know what I think really happens? Is that we're not obedient or bold to speak out. Now you can get your tongue later in your own private prayer closet. My father was one. I know some other people in this church have experienced, had experiences very similar. Is that you had hands laid on you and then later the Lord opens up your mouth into obedience and you speak forth. I have never met somebody that I felt we laid hands on and they could not speak in tongues. Now let me clarify. Again, in 1 Corinthians, not everybody has the gift of tongues, which is specifically talking about corporate edification of the body. In the same way that not everyone has the gift of faith or healing, or prophecy, or discerning of spirits, or interpretation of tongues. But what was the normative experience for every single time someone received the Holy Spirit, I'm using the term baptized in the Holy Spirit, throughout all of the New Testament, every single time we have recorded, they spoke in a different tongue. Which I would argue, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 16, is praying in the Spirit. Not with Him. But in it, it's when your spirit man sets aside of itself and you actually get into that place where the Holy Spirit is. And you begin to speak forth utterances from your mouth that your mind doesn't necessarily know. Your mind can know them. Paul says that we should ask to understand. The Lord might give you a word or confirmation, but it's also okay just to pray in agreement in the Spirit and allow him to pray in our own weaknesses because we don't know how to pray as we should. That's what praying in the Spirit is. So to summarize, at conversion, the Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Second or 1 Corinthians twelve, thirteen. We're baptized in the body of Christ. Some of you would say that's when the Holy Spirit comes on in your life. I would agree. But later, as the believer is water baptized, normally this happens before Holy Spirit baptism, but we see in Scripture that it can also flip the opposite way. Later, when they're baptized in water to symbolize the resurrection and the new life that we have in Jesus Christ, but there is another subsequent baptism, and that is in the Spirit, when the body of believers will lay hands on a a person and then begin to pray over them in the Spirit and impart that gift of the Holy Spirit. When that happens, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which, going back to two weeks ago, is what helps us to hear God's voice and to hear and receive the rhema of God. It's going to be really hard for anyone. not I won't say impossible. It's going to be really hard for anyone to receive the rhema of God without the Holy Spirit filling them. Now, as believers, we are, we are instructed to continually be filled. Daily, we wake up and say, God, fill me. Fill me up again today. I know I have I received your Holy Spirit, that, that second blessing, that time they all laid hands on me, and we prayed, and we believed, and Lord, fill me again, because I'm going to need you today. So we can better hear the rhema of God, but secondly, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit What comes forth is a spontaneous, I know it's scary, spontaneous prayer language. You begin to pray over something with your mind and with your spirit partnering together. Or sometimes when your mind doesn't understand, you allow an outpouring of that filling of the Holy Spirit to pray over a situation. Now, I want to bless you with something here. We're talking about praying at all times in the Spirit. This is what Curtis and I have alluded to, I think both of us, several times over um, the last few years, is that not only can that prayer language, that personal tongue, be useful for building yourself up when you don't know how to pray, but this is just a freebie here. It will also bless you and take you to a deeper place in worship. Why does Curtis go up there and you're thinking he's on the piano and he's praying and sometimes he's just kind of softly praying in the Spirit and you see his lips moving, you hear some things, but you can't make it out. It's because there's an outflow of being filled with the Holy Spirit that you almost, sometimes you can't even contain it. Sometimes, and and I'm not going to say you, you, the Holy Spirit's moving your lips against your will, that's not what I'm saying. Some people think like that, they think, oh no, that's really freaky and and God's just going to move my mouth whenever I want. No, you have to be obedient to it. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophet, okay? But sometimes there's just an, an, an over saturation and exuberance in worship that if I'm gonna say anything, it's just gonna be. And as soon as you open your lips, it's like the whole the spirit's just like boom! And he just wants to get some words out and praise God too. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, imagine that. God the Father, perfect God the Father. The Holy Spirit is the Father, right? They're, they're one. He has a perfect revelation of God's character. His provision, his blessing, his love, his grace, his mercy. And yet the very thing that happens is so grieving to him is that a believer might get baptized in the Spirit and then just, he never gets to speak it out. It's like this picture of the Holy Spirit just be like, just let me. He's like busting at the seams to just praise God with that perfect revelation of who He is. And that's what happens in worship sometimes. Sometimes when we're, you know, in between songs or even, you know, sometimes the words are up on the screen, you just want to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And then you just begin to pray in the Spirit, Lord, thank you. And it's an outpouring, it's an outflow of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is how we are able to pray in the Holy Spirit. That as we ask God, say, God, fill me, fill me up, fill me up. And so the next time you're walking down the road and you see someone homeless and they're shivering, you don't even have to make a conscious thought. You can look at them and your spirit is already praying before you even make a thought. When you turn on the news and you see a devastation, a story, you begin to, in obedience, move your mouth, the Holy Spirit is speaking out words for specific needs. The Williams who lost their home. The Jones that need a financial breakthrough. The Willoughbys that need a a touch from the Father. The Holy Spirit knows all that. and He's praying those things out. I want to ask you this morning, I'm going to have Curtis come up on the, the piano She's going to play some soft music, but I want to open up an opportunity for us if you've not had someone lay hands on you and anoint you with oil. Louie and I are going to lay hands on you, and Curtis, as you feel led, to come on down and join us if anyone wants to come forward. You may have had someone lay hands on you before. Say, you know what? I felt the move of the Lord. I felt the Holy Spirit touch me, but I didn't receive my tongue. Great. Let's ask him again that he would confirm that word, he would confirm it with signs and wonders, that you would receive your prayer language. I believe it's available for everybody, and I'll take it a step further in boldness. Not only is it available, I believe we should ardently seek it, and that we should be using it daily, pray at all times in the Spirit. Okay? Maybe you say, oh, well, Pastor, I don't know, this is kind of weird. I see what you said, but that was really fast. Great. Let's talk about it privately because this is important. It's important for your spiritual walk, but it's important for this body. That each and every one of us would be praying at all times in the Spirit so that we can resist the evil one. But I also, maybe there's someone here who says, you know what? I've never been baptized in the Spirit. Nobody's ever laid, nobody ever told me this. I just thought there was water baptism or I just thought I had to believe in Christ. You know what? Whether you've been water baptized or not, I want to invite you to come to the front and I want to lay hands on you. And I want to just say, God, Your vessel here is willing. Let's just fill them with your spirit, Lord. Would you just impart it this place, Lord? And and if that's you, I want you to be able to just come forth in boldness, and there's going to be an act of obedience that has to happen. You looking around the room and say, what are these people going to think? Don't worry about them. There's there's an act of obedience. Say, oh, I've been a believer for 40 years. What are they going to think of me? Doesn't matter. It's between you and God. Do Do you want his fullness or not? And, and what will happen is, is you feel a tugging in your heart say, you know what, I need that, I kind of want that, but it's a little embarrassing, it's a little bit weird. Get over yourself. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? And as you stand up, you take that first step, there's an act of obedience, and that, that feeling is just going to flee. It's just the devil. He's trying to discourage you and distract you and keep you from getting the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you, if, if, if you're in that place, that you would just be obedient to come forward. Perhaps you've been following the Lord for a long time. Perhaps you already can pray in tongues and pray in the Spirit. But you're saying, you know what, I've been a little bit lethargic. I have been using the gift as much as I want. Would you just pray for me, Pastor, and lay hands that I would be filled to overflowing again, that I would kindle afresh the gift of the Holy Spirit that I received? If that's you, come forward. This morning, I want you just to be bold no matter where you are in the spiritual Need the Lord is going to pour out, and He wants to bless us in this place this morning.